If you have not been with us over the last few weeks, we have begun a journey through the Ten Commandments. And the first week we went over the first two, last week we went over one. And so what we have been talking about is this enslaved people, the Israelites, have been freed from slavery by the hand of God. And God is entrusting with them some steps in which they can take in order to live as a free people. The Ten Commandments are not shackles, but they are steps to freedom. And as you have been reading this week and as you've been reminded of the Ten Commandments this week, we're going to do a little quiz that I'm going to give you the answer to. This is open book. Are you ready? Some of y'all aren't ready. You're like, oh, I came to church today. I didn't know I was about to get quizzed. It's going to be okay. The first commandment is no other gods before me. What's the first commandment? Come on, you guys are so smart. Makes me so proud. So God is telling and reminding the people of Israel that, hey, I want you to know there is no God but me. Every other God that you can put your trust in will not keep his end of the bargain. You cannot trust any other God, and there is no other God except me. The second commandment is this. You shall create, you shall not create any graven image or any idol. What is the second commandment? <laughs> Listen, the confidence just faded, y'all. Some of y'all are like, uh, the answer is Jesus. I'm just going to stick with that. You shall have no graven image and no idols. That means that we are not to put the name of God on anything less than because we have a true king and he is enough. And the third one is this. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Put some respect on his name. Make sure you honor his name because his name is his character. So what is the third commandment? <laughs> Listen, some of y'all are like, you said a lot of things, Nick. A lot, and so I appreciate you put some respect on his name. That's exactly right. Because God's name is his character, and when we associate things that are not of God with his name, we are not accurately depicting the name of God. And then the fourth commandment, which we're going to dive in today, is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, or your phone, or whatever it is you use to read God's word. Exodus chapter 20, Exodus is the second book of God's word following Genesis. Exodus 20 is right after Exodus 19. There you go. Look how helpful I am. And we're going to begin in verse number eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does the word remember mean? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Remember. It's to recover one's manners after a lapse. Have in or be able to bring to one's mind an awareness of. Why would God continue this conversation with the nation of Israel, with Moses? Why would he start with remember? You have to know the context of this. These people, these Israelites, have been enslaved for about 400 years. They have not been able to do what they want to do. They have not been able to rest because an enslaved people do not rest. But God is bringing to mind after a lapse of memory that, hey, remember the Sabbath. Remember that I worked for six days and set apart the seventh day as holy. Remember it and set it apart. One of my favorite authors, his name is John Mark Comer. He's a pastor and an author. And he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you go to our website with all our Ten Commandment resources, you'll see it posted there. But let me go ahead and warn you about this book. You're not going to like John Mark Comer after you read this book. Why? Wow, because it gets up 
in your business, y'all. And he tells you the truth of God's word and how to walk it out, and I don't like it, just so you know. But he says this, the word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew Shabbat. The word literally means to stop. The Sabbath is simply a day to stop, stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. And that's hard for us. But not only are we called to remember and to stop, we are called to set it apart as holy. Another picture, to go back to our illustration, is to put your cell up and trust that the wind is going to do what the wind is going to do. Jen Wilkin in her book, 10 Words, says this, to Sabbath is to cease activity for the purpose of remembering God's provision, that we might worship him as we ought. The Sabbath is an expression of trust. It's an expression of trust. Guys, I don't know about you, but it's hard to trust. Can I get an amen? It is hard to put your trust in the king. You've seen a move, and we've seen a move in the past, but still for all of us, it is hard to trust. Why? Because there have been times in our lives where someone has let us down, right? Where we have put our trust in something or someone, and it has not done what it needed to do. And for some of us, we feel like, God, I feel like I trusted you, but I feel like you didn't come through the way that I thought you should come through. And I've been there myself, but I have seen that the fingerprints of God are all over my life in ways that I did not expect or see. Jim Wilkins says this, Sabbath is the deliberate cessation. Can we pause right there for a moment? I want full disclosure. I had no idea what cessation meant. Some of y'all are real smart. You're like, well, Nick, it means this. Well, I appreciate you being smart. I'm just not that, okay? <laughs> but cessation means this. The fact or the process of ending or being brought to an end. So Sabbath is the deliberate bringing of end of any activity that might reinforce my belief in my own self-sufficiency. Can I just be really honest with you and tell you this? I am really good at performing and working my fingers to the bone in order to earn something that is freely given to me by the king. And then what I will do is I will complain about it. Hey, God, did you not see how many hoops I jumped through, how many people I tried to bless, how many sermons I preached? Lord, and I'm tired. And the Lord goes, Nick, you know I didn't ask you to do all that. Nick, I didn't ask you to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. I didn't ask you to grow weary and tired. That's not the invitation I've given to you. And I know, Nick, you think that the more you perform and the more you run your fingers to the bone and the more you're tired and you're weary, the more you have earned your place with me. But, Nick, I give you that place. You don't have to earn it. You can only receive this grace. You cannot earn it because it's far too expensive and your account is bankrupt. But yet for me, I have found myself constantly trying to do all of this and getting weary and tired. That is not the invitation from the king. Exodus 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. I love that God is specific, isn't he? He's like, listen, why? Why is he so specific? Because we are a people that are trying to find the loopholes, amen? 
God tells us to do something, we go, well, let me find out all the ways where I don't have to do what you have called me to do. Lord, that sounds great, but I mean, I know you're king, and I know you spoke things into existence, and I know Jesus overcame the grave, but let me tell you how to do your job. And God is specific. He's in, listen, for six days you work, for six days you prepare, for six days you walk in a rhythm and a pace that prepares you for Sabbathing, to stop and to set the day apart. And here's what's true about the Sabbath. The Sabbath requires preparation. Listen, if you decide that you're going to pause, that you're going to take a day, you're going to put that in the rhythm of your life, and you don't prepare, if you go home today and you have not prepared the Sabbath, and it's time for lunch, but you didn't buy any food, you are not going to Sabbath. Why? Because you're going to be hangry and mad. And so we have to be prepared for Sabbath. And we can see this picture of preparing for Sabbath in Exodus chapter 16 with the nation of Israel as God has provided for them some food, but on the sixth day, he's going to provide a double portion. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Praise God for that. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath there will not be any. See, Sabbath is not just inactivity, but it's allowing space for God activity in your life. It's not just vegging in front of the TV and watching all the episodes of your favorite show. No, it is leaving some bandwidth so that God activity can happen in your life. So that you can pause and be reminded of the fact that God knows what he is doing and that he is trustworthy. And for you, you might be going, but Nick, I cannot Sabbath on Sunday. I work on Sunday or whatever else. Guys, really the tool and the reason for Sabbath is just to take every seven days to take a reprieve, to take a rest. For me, you might not know this or not, but I'm not off today. (laughs) Today is a work day. And I don't Sabbath on Sunday because it is not my day of rest. But for me, as a family, we try to Sabbath on Friday and Saturday. I'm not always good at it. This is not coming from someone who has arrived and I'm like the king of Sabbath. No, I'm in process with you, but I am reminded that the reason I Sabbath is to be reminded that God doesn't need my help and that he is good and he provides. And that I can allow some bandwidth for God activity to happen in my life. The goal is to establish a rhythm of remembrance and setting apart a day so we can be reminded of who our king is and that he's trustworthy. It's putting ourselves up and trusting the bringer of the wind. Verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pause right here. I don't want y'all to get this twisted. God, after creating the world, and as it says, six days, he wasn't tired. He wasn't like, "Woo!" speaking things into existence was tiring. That whole let there be light, Woo, war brother out. No. 
God didn't get to the seventh day huffing and puffing and be like, whoo, we barely made it. No. So why would he establish this rhythm of rest? Because our king is a good king. He is not one that just tells us what to do, but he is one that shows us what to do and invites us to do the same thing. And so God set it apart as holy. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How good is he that he would establish for his people a day of remembrance, a day of walking slowly with the king, a day to rest. And this was a people that had been enslaved. And so their God is going, hey, I want you to rest. It's not about your performing. It's about you being my people and walking with me. Jim Wilkin also says this in her book, 10 Words. How good is the God of Israel who commands rest. As Israel well knew, the gods of Egypt and Canaan required labor without rest, ceaseless offerings to secure their favor, but not Yahweh. In the command to cease, God distinguishes himself from the pagan deities of Israel's past and future neighbors. In the fourth word, God answers the question, who is like you, O God, among the nations? With an unequivocal no one. No one is like our God. And the Sabbath should be worshipful and restorative. You might be going, okay, so Nick, what does Sabbath need to involve? It needs to be restorative, and it needs to be worshipful. How many of y'all remember nap time back in the day? Anybody? We need to bring that back, amen? And I remember like it's yesterday, and I'm going to go ahead, full disclosure, if tomorrow as a staff we gather, after we pray, we get together and go, you know what, every single workday, everybody, we're going to kind of institute an hour's nap time. From one, Amen, girl. From 1 to 2 o'clock, everybody take a rest. Can I just tell you all right now, I'm in. My yes is on the table, Lord. I will go where you lead me. Yes. But nap time. Now, in kindergarten, y'all, I was all about a nap. There were other kids that weren't about it, but I was about it. I remember you went to your cubby. It was overflowing with all your stuff because it couldn't fit in. And then you would get your mat and you would lay it down. You were preparing to rest. And my little boy who is seven, let me borrow his fox blanket today for this illustration. He was a little reluctant. He's like, you going to do what with it? I was like, back up off me, son. Anyways. So you would lay it down, and you would get prepared to lay down. And then if it was anything like my experience in kindergarten, you would sit down in order to be prepared to rest. And the teacher would come, and she would typically read a story. Maybe one of my favorites is green eggs and ham. Sam, I am. Just take the eggs and the ham. Come on, brother, right? And so as she's reading to you, as you're preparing to rest, as you're preparing to take this little Sabbath as a part of your day, you get cozy. You're like, yeah, green eggs and ham. Praise the Lamb. And then you close your eyes. And then for some of us in this place, we start bragging about our sleep, which kind of sounds like this. And you just worshiping the Lord through your nose. You know what I mean? But you have been invited to be restored And to worship. And think about this too. As you engage in that, as you are being restored by allowing their time and space so that you could be better prepared to do what you need to do after this resting moment, and you've been worshiping through the snoring and praising the name of the king, who else is worshiping and restored? The teacher. 
You know when them babies go down for a nap, they're like, praise him. Like fully surrender, not just one hand, but two, y'all. And here's what's true. As you invite and as you step into Sabbath, as you step into restoration, as you step into this worship moment, as you step into this invitation, others are also restored and get to worship as well. See, you Sabbathing and you being restored, you are better able to do the exact thing that God has called you to do. See, here's what I'm learning. A restored, worshipful people are better able to be the people that God has called them to be. A restored people are willing and able to take their role and to play their part at restoring what is broken in the world through the power of Jesus. As we're restored, there are things and rippling effects that come from that. And I've also learned this to be true. A people who are tired and weary aren't great at bringing life to those around them. There's this quote that says this, and I don't like this quote, I'll just tell you right now. An inability or an unwillingness to cease from our labors is a confession of unbelief. An admission that we view ourselves as creator and sustainer of our own universes. If you don't like that quote, y'all can email Jen Wilkin, and she would love to hear it. If I'm really honest with you, I don't like that verse because it resonates so loudly with me. I I can't count on one hand how many times I have told the Lord that, yes, Lord, I'm tired and weary, but, Lord, I need to set myself on fire to keep others warm. Lord, that's the call of ministry. That's the call of my life. I need to be tired and weary just to show you and prove to you that I'm doing all the things that I've been called to do for your name and for your glory. And the Lord goes, hey, Nick, I didn't ask you to do that. Nick, I did not ask you to do that. Nick, I invited you to trust me. I invited you to walk with me in the cool of the day. I have invited you to be reminded of who I am and who you are based on who I am, and I've invited you to walk slowly with me at a pace that is restorative and worshipful. But Nick, I never asked you to make the world turn round. I never asked you to create things. I never asked you to do that, Nick. That's on you. And I have to ask myself this question, why do I do that? And for me... It's because I'm guilty of trying to earn something that I'm freely given. I'm trying to jump through all the hoops to show the king of how worthy I am of the grace he has given me. Can I just tell you guys something? You can't earn something that's free. And sometimes we're tired and weary, and we go, I'm so tired and weary. God, do you see me? And God goes, yes, I see you, but I want you to know that I've done the heavy lifting in all of this, and this is an opportunity for you to trust me. I never asked you to cause the world to rotate on this axis because, Nick, I'm the one that does that. So, Nick, you can stop your performing, and, Nick, you can stop your Weariness, you can stop all the things because I want you to know that you taking the Sabbath and walking in this pace and this rhythm with me is reminding you that this Sabbath points forward to the ultimate rest found in Jesus. Jesus did it, everybody. Jesus paid a price you could not pay. 
Jesus surrendered his life on the cross, and he was the only one that could because he was the only worthy lamb. Jesus overcame sin and the grave, showing that through him and him alone that you can overcome sin and the grave through him and him alone. And as we walk slowly week to week, as we walk slowly with the king, we're reminded that our rest is firmly planted on his completed work. And the writer of Hebrews says this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will perish by the following their example of disobedience. What is this invitation? What is this Sabbath rest? It's putting yourself up and letting the wind do what only the wind can do. It's an invitation to put our hope and our trust in the king and not in our own effort. It's remembering that the banner that God put over his six days of working in creation, and on the seventh day, his banner was, it is finished. And with Jesus over the pain of sin and death, he marked his banner over that by saying, it is finished when he surrendered his life on a cross. And that is what we rest on in the finished work of Jesus. Have you rested in that? Are you resting in that? To borrow another song, a song I've been listening to on repeat this week is a song called Where I'm Standing by a guy named Phil Wickham. And he reminds us of what we are resting in. And I think it has been encouraging to my soul, so I'm going to share it with you. This is what we are resting in. We are resting in the chain-breaking, miracle-making, powerful name of Jesus. On the body-raising, prodigal-saving, powerful name of Jesus. It's also said this way. Jesus proclaimed himself as Lord of the Sabbath, and indeed he was. He obeyed both the letter and the heart of the Sabbath command in a literal sense. But he also obeyed it in a spiritual sense. He predicted his own death, the final labor that would secure our true and better Sabbath rest. He prepared in advance for that death, laboring faithfully in obedience to the Father and teaching his followers to walk in his steps. He partook of rest, exhaling on the cross on a Friday evening as the sun sank to the horizon to begin the Sabbath day. And in his exhale, he breathed out rest for us. Rest for our souls. Jesus Christ is both the perfect practitioner of Sabbath and the means by which it is reached. Jesus remembered the Sabbath. Those who follow him will go and do likewise. And then Jesus invites us into this in Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to close with this. And I'm going to read from the message translation beginning in verse 28, where Jesus says this, are you tired? Let's just sit here for a moment, because I think typically we want to move past that. Let me ask it again in the quiet of your heart and where you're seating. Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? 
You tired of the striving? Are you tired of the performing? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. And notice that the invitation is for everyone. Come to me. There's no stipulation. He says, hey, if you're here, if this is you, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you learn to live freely and lightly. Remember, you are a human being, not a human doing. That we can be because of what the king has done on our behalf. Come to me, recover your life, and I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. If you would bow your heads. I know that we have family members and friends in this place and watching online that are tired and weary. And there are so many questions you're asking, Nick, if I don't do all the things, then how am I going to provide if I don't carry it on my back? How am I going to be able to come up for air? I just don't know how to accept this invitation. And maybe there are those of us in this place and in this space right now that go, man, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if I can rely on him. I don't know if I can put my sail up and trust the bringer of the wind to bring the wind. And so I've heard about Jesus, but I've never put my trust in Jesus. Maybe now is a moment for you to take a step into rest. And it's a rest that is built upon the completed work of the king. And if you could say something like this right here and right now, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all. Nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived and the mission you were sent on by God your Father. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your life on a cross, paying a debt, a debt that I cured through my disobedience and me running after what I want to run after. And it was a debt I could not pay because I am bankrupt, but you had sufficient funds and you surrendered your life on a cross so that I could be restored to what was intended. I say yes to the fact that three days later you gave back that borrowed tomb, and you overcame the grave and sin and death and showed me that through you and you alone, I'm able to overcome sin, death, and the grave. So I say yes. I will take my seat at your table. I will put on the robe of righteousness that you have given me, and I will put on the signet ring of the family, saying that I belong to the family of God and that I can rest and you and you alone. Maybe there are those of us in here that we may have tasted the ultimate rest, but as far as a rhythm of unforced grace, 
as far as a rhythm of walking in the cool of the day with a king that has something that has been lost on us. May we be a people today that are willing to be willing. That we are willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to take a step. I don't know what it looks like, and I might fall forward, but I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to establish a rhythm of rest and remembrance. And Lord, may we just take the steps to do so. And Lord, may we as your people, a people that you have invited to be restored and that you have invited to worship you in spirit and in truth, may we be a people that walk out differently because we have found our rest in you. We have found our rhythm of rest and may we be reminded that we get to be a part of the work that you've entrusted to us to help set captives free and remind people of a king. A restored, worshipful people are better able to point others to where restoration is found. May we be a people that drink from a cup that we pour out of. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you are a good king who has instituted rest as a rhythm of our life. And thank you for showing us the way. And thank you that we can rest in you, that we can put our sail up and we can trust the wind to take us to where we need to go. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.